Welcome to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast with Nicolene Peck. Improving your life, uniting your family, changing the world. Welcome to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast. I am Nicolene Peck and I am joined here with my daughter, Paige Baumert. Hi, Paige. Hello. So Paige, today we are going to be talking about boxes, well, not not cardboard ones, but like the other kind that happen in our heads, okay? Uh-huh. We're going to be talking about the children and ways that we might not be recognizing it, but we're creating um, feelings of insecurity. We're creating environments where the children are going to not have confidence where they might even behave more wildly to each other. Um, We're going to talk about how to stop this from happening and how our thinking and the messages that we are giving to the children make a huge difference in the way they see themselves and then the way they see each other. So we are going to be thinking outside of the box today. But before we do that... Um, as is tradition here on the Teaching Self-Government podcast, we are going to talk about a fun family activity. I know today, Paige, you're sharing a family activity that you particularly love. What is that? Yes. So and it's something that um, Joseph and I love, too. We love hammocking. So, I mean, if you're not familiar with that, it's kind of hard not to be at this point. But <laughs> um, hammocking is basically you just go to a park or maybe while you're camping, set up a hammock and just chill. Um, and I know this is something that Joseph and I love doing uh, as, you know, we're in a book series or a date night. In fact, we did it for date night just last week and we went and set up our hammock. We got in and then he read out loud to me because that's one thing that he loves to do. He likes to read to me. So uh, that was really, really fun. Then we just spent some quality time together. It was awesome. Yeah, I love that. So that's romantic and simple for husband and wife relationships and that kind of thing. But also with your children, it's just so fun. Mm -hmm. So a few years back, Spencer bought a whole bunch of hammocks for when we went camping and other places so that we could just set up the hammocks and we could all lay there. We have had so much fun with those hammocks. We've had camp trips. There was this funny camp trip. I can't remember if it was last year or the year before, but we camped in this spot where there was a huge tree. It was like this huge pine tree and its branches were very old and very large. And so they spread out and maybe it was a willow tree. Anyway, it was a big tree. And the the cousins and so my children like London and Porter were there and all of their cousins that were their age too were there and they set up all these hammocks all in the one tree and they stacked them all on top of each other (laughs) and they were all in there all on this one tree I took the most crazy pictures I'm like I can't believe there are that many children hanging (laughs) on the branches of this one tree it was so crazy Anyway, um, but also just so fun. What memories that they Mm -hmm. had. Um, In fact, this last weekend we went camping and uh, the spot that we had did not have enough trees to extend 
the hammock to where uh, the trees weren't close enough, you know, to where it was. Anyway, so they're like trying to hook him to the picnic table and everything. They're like, well, how can we hook up the hammocks? Anyway, and they were like, Mom, this spot that we picked does not work for him, you know, because it didn't work for the hammocks. So anyway, what a fun thing to do hammocking. I think that's a great idea. You can just sit in there and just talk. What a great way to, to um, have talk time, discussion time. Yeah, and you can find really awesome, relatively cheap hammocks at Walmart. You can find one person, two person. Yeah. We just became a commercial. I love nope. it. No Siento. <laughs> Sorry about that. I mean, that's where we got ours. So, <laughs> of course you did. Of course yep. you did. There's almost everything there. And I am not actually a big fan of Walmart. So, there you go. <laughs> okay. So, today we're going to be talking about thinking outside of the box. So, let's get there. Um, and just so you know, as we're looking through this this topic of boxes and stuff. We want to remind you all that we are looking through the lens of self-government. So every one of these podcasts is really just a scratch of the surface. Okay. So we we're just like scraping the surface, one little thing, one little topic that we can add to the understanding that people have of self-government. This, these podcasts do not replace the training that we have uh, for teaching self-government on our parenting course course and and stuff like that. So please don't ever assume that it does. They're really meant to add to, and um, you can just use them one off as well. But we always in these podcasts are looking through the lens of self-government because everything relates to that particular principle of self-government. So what is self-government? Self-government is when a person is totally fine with, in fact, feels very comfortable with analyzing themselves, finding a problem, and then making a plan for how to fix it because they want to become the best version of themselves. And parents have to teach this to children by governing over the children at first, right? Like saying, okay, well, this is what needs to happen. Here's an instruction. So there's certain skills that we teach in the teaching self-government program. We teach people four basic skills, how to follow instructions, accept no answers and criticism, accept consequences and disagree appropriately. We teach parents five different skills they need for how to calmly correct the children in a way that that really nurtures the relationship and and leads to open communication. So um, teaching self-government really is all about connecting, bonding together as a family, having good communication, but self-mastery too, and making a plan for our success and how to how to pull ourselves out of the rut of some of the things that we don't like about ourselves because we all can improve, right? So anyway, so let's look through this lens of self-government today. You know, I love where I live. Now I've been all over the world and I love a lot of places in the world, but I got to say, I absolutely love where I live. Uh, The place where I live, my nation, I live in the United States of America and this nation is specifically where I live in the mountain West. Okay. In the mountains, like I'm looking out my window and there's snow right now on the mountains. <laughs> so, um, and I love that. The, the, it looks like I'm in the Alps, but then there's also the desert just right nearby. It's just so nice. But in this place where I live, there is such harmony. People of all different countries you know, have come together to make this whole region of this country. It's quite a melting pot. 
all different countries, all different nationalities, um, all different socioeconomic, you know, everybody's just so different. And I love that. I love, I love the differences in everybody and their backgrounds and stuff. But you know what? There is a feeling of acceptance, a feeling of love. In fact, in our nation, in the, in the United States of America, we are more accepting of differences. And I'm talking racial differences, religious differences, you know, that, you know, men and women, you know, the whole old battle of the sexes, we are more acceptive, accepting of all these differences and, and kind of like cheering each other on more than ever before. There's less racism than ever before. And to some of you, that may be a new statement because maybe you've heard on the news or that other people keep claiming that there's just this absolute increase of racism. And I guess someone could make that claim just because it's being promoted. The idea is being promoted in such a new way. But like in reality, um, we have an incredible country here and there's just less than this than ever before. So what we want to talk about is why there is so much divisiveness then. Okay. Because there is divisiveness. Anyway, so we live in this place. We're totally accepting of others, um, welcoming to others, so many. And then there's divisiveness all at the same time. And it's just a strange thing. Like, I think if you're like me, you look on and you go, how, how come these don't match? How come it's like living two different worlds, two different um, things? It's like on one hand, the truth and on the other hand, the lie. It's, it's so strange. Um, and this divisiveness is spreading, okay? So even though there's so much love for people and their, their fellow beings, there's support for people that make choices that are different from others, there is this, um, it's kind of like a plague. Um, maybe we should call this action, you know, a, a, another pandemic. Um, but this is spreading to the whole world. And actually, the message, oddly enough, is starting out of the United States, but it's hurting our children. And this is the part that I really want to hit on, is what messages are we sending to the children? It's getting, these ideas of divisiveness is getting introduced to the children under false pretenses. I mean, there are literally people at schools and in other areas where children are reached um, after school clubs, you know, stuff like that, where children participate, where the children are being told that they are not being kind to other people or that they are oppressors or that they, when, when on the playground and in the neighborhoods, they don't think about any of that. They're literally just playing with people. But someone now is bringing it to their attention and saying, you cannot forget about this difference that this person has. And, and because you, your history of people, you know, might have been mean or something. And so there is this, it, it tears the children down before they even have a chance 
to form their opinions. And not only does it tear down, I mean, it tears down all sides. The oppressor is torn down because they're told they're a bad guy just out of the shoot. And the oppressed is torn down too because they're told they're not good enough for other people just straight out of the shoot. So everybody then has to be chopped down and they have to worry about how they're coming across to other people. They have to overanalyze everything. They can't well, they, they just feel like they have it. to worry because yeah. when someone feels like they're put in a category like that, then they also feel entitled to emotions that are part of that group. Mm-hmm. And so um, if someone says, oh, you're oppressing us, you know, this, that, and the other, then the person who is then labeled as an oppressor um, feels like, well, then I guess I better own up to it, you know, or, oh, man, shoot, well, hmm. Anyway, but, you know, they feel entitled to those certain emotions of either control or of being the victim, you know, mm-hmm. if you're the oppressed. But it's it's interesting how people, they definitely have an entitlement to those behaviors and those emotions. I love that you bring up the entitlement. I think that's important because it's true. But I also think, um, well, first let's talk on that for a second. So, you know, when a person is thinking who is hurting me and who am I hurting, then it's all about who deserves what, who deserves, who deserves, what do I deserve? Am I getting what I deserve? Am I being mistreated? Somebody might immediately recognize the falsehood of, Like somebody could come up to me and say, you're an oppressor. And I could, I would immediately recognize the falsehood of it. So then at that point, what do I do? Do I fight back? Because now I'm in war. Now, now somebody just started war with me Mm -hmm. or do I not? But then that other person still thinks of me that way. And they came and attacked me. Right. So, so now we have both sides at war with each other. And both sides bullying because both sides feel like they deserve certain things. They deserve the truth. Um, It is a tragedy if anyone ever picks on another person because of, of race or, you know, color of their skin or religion or, I mean, history is fraught with terrible examples, terrible examples of people, um, truly, truly oppressing other people, killing other people if they won't join their church, you know, and stuff like that. I mean, this is, these are parts of history that we all look at and go, how did so many people get sucked into that? In many (laughs) areas, you know, politically, religiously, all sorts of places. Yeah, absolutely. And, and economic, you know, Mm -hmm. oppression that has happened. Okay, so these are real parts of our history. But the irony is, the irony is we have totally pulled out of this. So I was just in, uh, where was I? St. Louis. I was just in St. Louis. And in St. Louis, there's this amazing park. I believe it's called Forest Park was the name of it. And right next to Forest Park, um, you know, are all these incredible old school mansions. Okay. Just amazing. So, you know, back in the turn of the century, late 1800s, early 1900s, the park that was created, this huge elaborate park where the World Fair was held, right next to it were these huge mansions, right? So the rich people had their houses there. Okay, as you go further down the same street, you can literally drive on the street that leads to the park. You go down the same street and 
the houses get smaller, 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 <laughs> smaller. And soon it's like tenement housing and there's factories. Okay. And it's all left over from the 1900s. And you look at it and you're like, this is how it used to be. Okay. Where I, where I live, there's my neighborhood and there's this like this other street that's attached to it that's like farm houses that have been here since whenever there's other streets over in the way it's like oh there's a trailer court right there there's whatever you know <laughs> what i mean it's like there's there's everything everywhere all together and and i'm looking at that going look at how we live look at our neighborhoods and everybody is fine living like this but look how it used to be. And the other thing that I noticed- like social was, classes were distinct. Yeah, exactly. And the, and the thing that I, and the other thing I saw was, and this I felt like was very interesting in these old turn of the century homes, there were people who were fixing all of them up, okay? No matter where they, if they were the, the tiny old little ones or the big old little, you know, big, big old little, big and little dog <laughs> Anyway, but um, the big ones, okay? And some of the big ones were trashy now all of a sudden, which was funny, okay? And like huge monsters, kind of trashy. And then the, the, that was rare, but still it happened. And then some of these just little ones were just so beautiful. And I thought, see, that is the picture right there of the American dream. And that's what won out. What won out is wherever you are, can you bloom where you're planted? And the answer was yes. Wherever you are, you can bloom where you're planted. And our children need to know that. That has been something that they have been able to hold on to. That's, that's why I'm the person I was. Did I ever think when I was a young child, oh, well, maybe I'll write 11 books one day. And maybe I'll be on a TV show and maybe I'll travel the world and do all this kind of stuff. No, not for one second did I think that. I thought I want to be a mom. <laughs> and like maybe it. a school teacher. And maybe a school teacher. I mean, I you are like, that. It's just not in the traditional sense, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And so what did I become? A homeschool mom. <laughs> okay. So but but then all this other stuff happened to me because I just I can't not bloom where I'm planted. I was taught to do that by my parents. Well, I was not just happened that, to you, but it happened because of you. Yeah, exactly. And so you don't, you don't just put up with how things are and go, oh, well, they're the rich and I'm the poor. Or they're the, they're the privileged, I'm the not. They're the popular, I'm the unpopular. They're the, you don't do that. You just say, well, because well, at that point, be? you're who comparing yourself to everyone else. You're putting yourself down. Well, that too. You're, yeah. I mean, you are comparing, like I'm agreeing with you, but I'm saying even with emphasis, like, and you're putting yourself down, you're putting yourself in a box at the same time that you're putting other people in a box. Now there was a mm -hmm. great book and Paige, I know I shared this book with you a few years back, mm -hmm. um, a great book called the coddling of the American mind. Oh, so good. So good. And in this book, they bring up some untruths that are really damaging our society and it's starting on college campuses. Yep. Um, and it's spreading everywhere. And we really do see it spreading everywhere. But one of the untruths that's in this book that they talk about is this untruth of what doesn't kill you makes you weaker. What doesn't kill you makes you weaker. Now, think of that. Think of how defeating that is. That means there always has to be a bully and there always has to be somebody who is a victim. or There's always oppressed. something out to get you. Mm -hmm. and, and the thing is, is that 
you could, uh, you could call a person, you could say, you're a bully, you're an oppressor, you're, and you could try to call them out, but then you are actually bullying and oppressing that other person with your emotions, your war, whatever you're doing, because if they're really not, if you're just saying, well, because of your religion, you're, you're an Mm -hmm. oppressor, you know, because this is a thing now, like, this is literally a thing. There is Um, this is one thing that's sad is that all through, you know, my growing up, there wasn't much religious hostility. People just put up with whatever it is. And even to this day, you just catch anybody one-on-one you're like, Oh, okay. Well, that guy's a Muslim and I'm a Christian and that person's a Jew. And he's great. (laughs) Yeah. My, my favorite friends I had, there was three of us. We all lived in a row on my street and we were all different religions and we played together every day you know, the Jew, the Catholic, the, and, and so we all did this. Okay. So, and, and guess what? Children still do this. Children mm-hmm. still do this at school, but yet there is a group of college people and adults and academics who are pushing um, this idea that for some reason we can't get along yet. That for some reason that there like we eventually is... have to decide to put differences ahead of people Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that there's power and privilege and they put people in what they call the oppression matrix Hmm, okay the oppression it sounds so fancy and (laughs) so like you know 21st century right uh the oppression matrix that somehow no matter what you are somewhere in this oppression thing in fact um i was even invited by a colleague of mine uh what was it about a week ago they're like hey there's this website you can go to and it will rank you i want you to think of that it will rank you on how much of an oppressor you are i mean i understand like a personality test but that's something completely different yeah so so then I went in there and I was like okay I want to see this and and this isn't questions that are like they're not your opinions on anything or nothing like that it's like you just write in oh you just click boxes it's just boxes am I is my skin color this color or this color is my religion this or this is my economic station this or this is my gender this or this i mean you literally just click boxes and it's all stuff that is i mean you know what are people going to do change i mean just change it you know just randomly um but it's just you know how i mean there's a variety of people i mean we're basically saying that the variety of people is not a good thing anymore Cause like Mr. Rogers used to say it was good. Otherwise we'd all have planet purple. Right. And so, <laughs> so that the variety of people is not good anymore. Now it's just the means for war. I mean, and yeah. at the end of the day, it was like, I got ranked. I was something like 78% oppressor or something. I mean, you know, probably the fact that I was a woman saved me somehow. And I was like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> I, I just, I I looked at that and I thought, so what does that mean? So everyone walks around with a little percentage over their head. Well, I'm 78%. No, it actually reminds me of a story. So there's a story that was written um, about this girl. She was in a community. Um, This is a fictional story, but has very, very real principles. Um, And she would go into town every now and then. And there was this guy that came to town and he was selling these glass balls. And these glass balls would give you a number of how pretty you were. 
and he was mm. obviously marketing them towards girls. Um, but all these girls, if they saw that they had a low number in their glass ball, they're like, oh my gosh, I, got, I have to make a higher, you know, I have to make it better. I have to be more pretty. And so they would make their, they would put their efforts towards all these worldly things that would try and improve the number in their little glass ball that just floated above their head. Like it literally was just there for everyone. Mm-hmm. And so this one girl, she's like, oh, that's, that's interesting. Maybe I should get one. So she got one and she realized she was analyzing herself and she realized that she was falling into the same behavior. She's like, this isn't healthy. And so she literally took the glass ball and just smashed it. And she's like, I don't care anymore, you know, because that's not what I should be putting my efforts into, you know, trying to have this label of the prettiest girl or, you know, anything like that. And it's kind of the same idea. Like, why would you purposely put a label or a ranking or a number on someone in that sense? Like, I understand when it comes to like the Olympics, like, yes, there's a first, second, and third, because that's, you know, athletic performance, sure, whatever. But when it comes to stuff like that, or like, you know, who's oppressed, who's the oppressor, it's stupid. And it messes with people's minds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's exactly what I'm concerned about. I love that. Paige, you've got to tell the name of the book because people might want to get it. Oh, shoot. I can't remember what it's called. I'll figure it out though. I feel like it's something like beautiful's in the title, wasn't it? Yeah. Like... I'll figure it out. Okay. Okay. If I can okay. remember in the next little bit here. <laughs> think Paige, think, <laughs> but yeah. Okay. So this is what we are doing to ourselves, but worse, what we are doing to our children. And they do not have the wherewithal or the experience to sort this. They, and they are so emotional because their prefrontal cortexes are not fully developed that what happens is they actually get emotionally sucked into guess what the battle, because this is really this separating people in this oppression matrix thing This is actually creating battle. So if teachers are saying, oh, okay, well, that's a microaggression and that's a whatever, and and they're teaching this kind of stuff to children, then children are overanalyzing absolutely everything. They're thinking to themselves, am I coming across as an oppressor? Are people going to hate me? Like, can I have a friend? And, you know, should I hate myself? which then leads to self-loathing, which then would lead to what? Like suicide. I mean, we already have depression, anxiety, suicide on the rise. The last thing we need is more self-loathing. Okay. We need people to feel good about themselves, to honor themselves, and then to honor other people too. So I love that this girl smashed the ball in the story you're talking about because, um, because smashing the ball is actually a symbol of saying, wait, that's a lie. And I'm yeah, not and it was going to believe the lie on her part. Cause she was able to analyze what was going on. And instead of get sucked into it and be like, Oh man, I'm, I'm being oppressed by this guy who just sold me a ball. I'm a victim of this glass ball. Yeah. Instead yeah. of saying that, or like, Oh, you know, this glass ball makes me better than you or my number is better than yours. She said, you know what? All this is wrong. It's not true. Now we do have to talk about why she would know that. Because why would she know the truth? Somehow, somewhere along the line, she actually was introduced to truth. And she knew what truth felt like. 
And so she could recognize, wait a minute, this is an untruth. Someone is calling it a truth when in reality, this is a lie. And that requires discernment. Now, if there's one thing parents really are morally obligated to teach their children, it's discernment. That doesn't mean you can do discernment for them all the time, their whole lives, but you have to teach them how to do it, which means you've got to teach them what is true, what is false, what is good, what is bad, what is right, what is wrong. And we do that through our basic everyday teachings, where we teach them what to do, we correct them, we praise them, we help them make new plans for further successes, overcoming problems. Yes, we declare this is a problem. This is an issue. We've got to overcome it. The only way they can become the best version of themselves is if we do that. And so then we morally train them. We also talk to them about how we make decisions. We bring in the spiritual, if we've got that component in our families and in our lives so that they can know how to truly know when something is right and wrong and what is true. And this discernment is going to help them break free from some of the lies they're going to be pushed in society. I mean, I don't know if there's any way to fully stop this unless everybody just says, yeah, that's not happening. Because here's the deal. We've got stuff right now. Like I was told by one of the school board's members in our state that the federal government right now in the United States, so uh, we're talking the, the presidency, okay, is actually sending millions and millions of dollars to the states to basically teach this stuff about boxes, to teach this stuff about boxes to get the children looking That's for really how people sad. are hurting them. Can you imagine, can you imagine standing somewhere? Let's say you're um, in a supermarket, okay? Can you imagine um, thinking that, well, how is that person thinking bad about me? Well, how is that person thinking bad about me? Oh, well, that person took the last bag of chips on that shelf. So that must be an attack because I'm this color or because I'm this whatever. It's like you never would do that. You'd be like, well, people are people like that happens, you know, but like, but like we're actually training the children to try to look for places where they can try to assume someone's feeling aggressive or here's the thing to focus so much on their feelings. Okay, this is another one of the untruths brought up in the coddling of the American mind is that you need to follow your feelings, but to focus so much on your feelings that if you feel something, you automatically assume it's true when anyone can manipulate emotions. Feelings, feelings are there and they do help us, but when you put too much stock in your emotions and you're, and like you said, if you say, oh, I'm feeling this, so it must be true Mm -hmm. or I have to follow that. Yeah. That person didn't look at the look, didn't look at me. So they must hate me. They must be judging me. They must not like me because my religion is jumping to all sorts of conclusions. Yeah. Which that's actually mostly untrue. So I was at a conference a couple of years ago and there was a new vendor who had the booth next to me and I was just talking to him, really nice guy. And, um, you know, we're just talking and stuff and he was from New York and, um, you know, I'm from out West and, you know, so kind of different worlds, but we're all together at this homeschool conference. And he was, he was trying to sell this, you know, app that, you know, would prep people for ACT or whatever. And he wasn't getting a lot of traffic, like not a lot of people coming to his booth. And he, you know, saw a lot of people coming to my booth and other booths, but not as many people coming to his booth. 
And by the, he left early from the whole conference. It was a three-day conference. He left early and, and he said to me, he's like, I'm not coming to any more of these conferences because you know what? Have you noticed that, that in this conference hall where we're at, and I believe we were in South Carolina, he says, have you noticed in this conference hall where we are at, he's like, there are not that many with many people with my color of skin. And he's like, so they're there. You know what? This is racist. They're not coming to my booth because of my color skin. And I, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wow. I, said, I said, you know, I don't know about that because I can't know. See, here's the wise thing. I can't know what's in other people's heads. How can he? So I said, you know, I don't know about that because I can't know what's in other people's heads. You know, trying to get the message across, like, what are you doing? Getting in, right. trying to think, you know, other people's heads just because you're not getting business. And I said, I said, but one thing I do know is that many homeschoolers are not so worried about college entrance exams. And there are, and there actually are a lot of competition for people who are teaching this and they may not their children don't even have phones, lots of them, and they may not want them to be on an app that feeds them stuff every day. So, you know, it just might not be a fit for their cultural desires, you know, or what they want for their family. And he wasn't doing a very good job as being a salesperson. He was just sitting there anyway. Well, if you're at a conference, you got to be able to sell your product. <laughs> so, well, so I was like, well, I mean, you know, I'm not saying, I mean, who knows what he knew, but he immediately jumped to that. And I thought, who does that? Who immediately like, says, who taught him to this think must be because of my gender or my race or my religion or my economic. No one would ever know that. Either they want what you have to talk about or they don't. You know, I'm not the same religion as every person that I talk to. And, and nobody has held that against me ever. I work, when I go to the UN, I work very closely with Muslims and all different faiths. And I'm not Muslim. Um, I have dear, dear friends who I work with on family policy stuff who are Jews and they study, study like demographics and different things. I'm not Jews. I'm not a Jewish. You know what I'm saying? The, the Catholic church asked our family to go to Kenya and to do some training. I'm not Catholic. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, wh why why are we making something out of this? Do you see what I'm saying? It's crazy. So let's talk about the children. Let's talk about what we can do because we've got to get to, to what we can do and what is really happening to the children. I do want to bring up something I think is really important is when, when we see with our children, like, so let's say we're out somewhere, we see a homeless person. Okay. We don't go, ew, nasty homeless person. You know, we don't do that. Right. Cause if so, that would be completely not charitable, unloving, unkind. Um, in my terms, because I'm a follower, follower of Christ, unchristlike, we wouldn't do that, right? And so instead, we would say, we'd probably say hi to them, we'd say hi, you know, and if they were begging money, and we didn't want to strike up a conversation, because we don't have money to give, or we don't feel like we should, or whatever, then we're going to walk by, but we're going to be pleasant, we're not going to send hostile feelings toward them. And when our children say, hey, mom, how come that person was asking for money? We say, well, you know, let's talk about homeless people. And I would help my child come to an understanding of that person and who they are. And if they see another person who is like, in a gang or a person who is doing drugs and seems like they're strung out, I am not going to go to the person and, and, you know, hit them while they're down, 
kick them while they're down and being like, you druggy, you you know, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. But I think it's also important. You're also not going to go, Oh, you're so you're a victim of your situation, you know, or like, Oh, I'm so sorry. You know, this is, this is so hard. You really should feel bad for yourself. Uh, Right. That's a good point, Paige. That's a good point. And when I tell my children, when I say to my children, well, this is what their situation is. And let's talk about what drugs are and what they can do to somebody. And, and actually let's talk about probably what that, what kind of potential that person has and how valuable they are to God, because every person is valuable to God. And, and you know what, what steps they could take to, to make a change in their life if they wanted to. And what you need to watch out for so that maybe you don't fall into the same trap, right? But just because I say that that person who's in, doing drugs fell into a trap to my child so that they can learn discernment, just because I say that doesn't mean I'm judging that person, no, right? We're not. just talking about whatever it is. But in my heart, I can feel deep love for that person. My child can know I feel deep love for that person too, even if I don't hang out with that person on a regular basis because, well, the druggy lifestyle is just not what I want to be around, right? <laughs> so there you go. But so on that terms, nobody, nobody is saying druggy oppressed, right? Um, you know, sober oppressor. No one wears that on the matrix. I see, that's, not, a, that's a nice label right there. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? But like that, I mean, everything that's on the matrix, that, that should be on the matrix then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, when you look up this intersectionality thing, it's crazy. It's crazy. So in, instead, um, we assume that everybody is going, yeah, blasted druggie. You, you know, I, we just assume. And then the druggies going, I have value as a person. I'm sure I heard that somewhere as a child. How dare you talk to me that mm-hmm. way? You know, and so then all of a sudden we just assume all this and then it's a war. So we've just got, can we please open our eyes to this is war. You guys, this is the war. Okay. The war for men's souls, the war for their hearts, the war for the war for our sensitivities, um, the war for our allegiance. What what will we follow? An untruth or a truth? Can we be tricked? And I want my children to be able to see what's going on and to not be tricked. And so I talk to them very openly about the and war you don't, so that they can you see you don't it. pollute it with your own opinions i mean obviously you teach us truths and we do know that you have opinions and that and we know what they are but you try and teach us the truths that you know in an unbiased way yeah and and that's because truth should be able to stand on its own truth yeah. is truth right mm-hmm. um so and yeah. when you do share your opinion like, and now this is my opinion but <laughs> Yeah. It's like we, we, we're able to tell the difference between, okay, this is absolute truth. Like nothing is going to be able to change this. And, oh, that's mom's opinion. And this you is know, what I so if, yeah. if we disagree with mom and her opinion, that's fine, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but we're not going to say, oh, mom, you're so wrong. Like you're trying to convince me that your opinion is the best one and I'm not having it. You know, no, so, so you would disagree appropriately. Yeah, we'd just be like, oh, that's that's a really interesting point of view. You know, I don't necessarily see it that way, mm-hmm. but um, you know, you're you're welcome to your opinion. I'm welcome to mine. So yeah, and what I've noticed actually in our family is that by and large, I mean, pretty much all things, um, except for maybe a couple of songs, music choices that I'm like, <laughs> eh, and some people are like, yay. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like, okay. but, like, but like by and large 
by and large, <laughs> our, our whole family actually is like, yep, that's the truth. We just agree. Cause we, we are kind of like really rock solid in truth. Right. Yeah. Well, the opinions that we make are based off of truths that we've learned. So yeah, yeah, exactly. So true. Okay. So let's talk about how this hurts the children. So it hurts mm-hmm. the children because um, number one, they don't know the truth, which is what you're alluding to. Um, they well, get I think they come, they come to think messaging. their parents' opinion is the truth. Ah, yeah, that's true. Cause, cause that's, that's a true, I mean, parents can even like be teaching this, this oppression stuff to their children and this hurts them. Yeah. They could know that they're doing it or they might doing it unconsciously. You know what? Um, what we have to remember is, you know how, you know, in business, you always want to create a win-win. Okay. Right. In business, you're like, let's have a win-win. Okay. Well, with this stuff that we're talking about, when you put people in boxes, when you label people, when you have to hate certain people, when you shame certain people, when you, you know, and make war and all this kind of stuff, this is a win-lose. This is a win-lose and, and both sides could win and both sides could lose. Okay. And because you have to call somebody a bad guy. You're giving them a name, you're name calling. Yeah. The whole thing falls apart. If somebody is not a bad guy. You have to find the bad guy. And this reminds me of stuff I've been hearing for years at the United Nations. So when I'm, when I'm there, it's like, it's a whole bunch of name calling. Well, those people, men, this, that, and the other, you know, whatever. And I'm sitting there as a woman going, okay, listen, I'm totally empowered because of the generation I was raised in. And because my parents understood um, women can do anything they put their mind to. Um, is it always going to be exactly the same as a man? No, because I'm a woman, like things will be different because the way we do things, but like I can do anything I put my mind to. I think I've certainly proven that in my life. Okay. But I'm sitting there going, but why are you talking bad about my husband, my father, my, my father-in-law people who actually support and sustain me in everything I do? Why would you call them a villain? I cannot have that. Yeah. And I think, I think one of the biggest differences of today, like even just, you know, one or two generations back, parents would teach their children to be aware of evil, but not to search it out or create it. And so they're like, okay, you know, stuff like this could pop up. If it does, this is what it is. This is what you should do. You know, stuff like that. But nowadays um, it's almost popular that, um, parents are teaching their children okay so there is evil this is what it looks like you know this is where you're going to come across it and they're almost training them to create evil out of other like of other people to go searching it out to hunt right. it out yeah i've got to find the evil instead of just be a light be good be mm-hmm. you know yeah that they go looking you know i there's been so much research done on fathers okay um So we know that children do better if they have a good relationship with their father. There is so much social science data on how children succeed. They stay out of drugs. They, they go through college. They, all these things, if they have mommy and daddy, okay. In their lives. And particularly if they are still married, that's, that's the best case scenario. Um, We know, you know, we know not everybody has that all the time. This happens. Um, But if a child has daddy as a strong figure in their life, that child actually uh, succeeds oftentimes way better than children who daddy is dysfunctional or not in the picture or whatever. Okay. So 
How weird is it that our society with that information, with that understanding would make something this little matrix or this intersectionality chart where we say men are oppressors and bad. And that we would tell children, your daddy is bad because he's a man. Because that's what they hook together. What, what men do I know? Mom said, dad's a man and she's a woman. So men are bad. So that means dad is bad. So I must only be able to feel comfortable with mom, right? And so now all of a sudden, the children are turning away from something just because they've been told that somebody is bad. And now that doesn't mean dads can't be abusers. I mean, they can. We know that's a real thing, right? And, and moms can be abusers too. Let's be real. I mean, I did foster care and many of the times it was the mom that was the abuser. But anyway, Which is so sad, um, but it's okay, I guess. Very sad, very sad. <laughs> um, but I think that's how children end up in foster care lots of times is when mom's not protecting. But anyway, so this hurts our children. They, they end up be either I'm a bad guy or I am a victim. And both of those are sad states to be. So how do we help them? Let's talk about how to fix this. We've got to protect the children from this. This is very important that we teach them the truth. They've got to know that um, mommy and daddy are both valuable, that they both love them. Um, they've got to know that their heritage, wherever they came from, whatever culture they came from, whether it was Africa or Scandinavia, no matter where they came in the past, back, way, way back, that those people, um, those people, you know, had different lives than them, but they also gave them a unique heritage, but they now get to decide how they will behave. See, our culture and and who, how things were before does not dictate how we have to behave now. And the thing is, is we've known that the human experience is always about making new choices and going in a new direction. Well, and adapting to new progression in, you know, technology and all sorts of different things. Each generation is going to be different and it's going to have to act different because of different possibilities that are available. Yeah. And if we teach our children this stuff, we are actually stopping progression. We're holding everybody back. It is a bully move to do this. Yeah. Teaching them to be in those categories. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that they, they, they can't progress past it, that they can't fix a problem with themselves. This whole, this whole oppression matrix intersectionality chart stuff, all of this is anti self-government because what is the principle of self-government? If a person is self-governing, which is, by the way, one of the foundational principles of the United States of America, if a person is self-governing, then that means they say, they say to themselves, this is a problem that I see with me, or someone else has noticed a problem with me. I'm going to examine it. I'm going to make a plan, and I'm going to figure out how to fix it so that I can become a better version of myself. With, with me stuck, stuck as 78% oppressor, whether I, no matter what I do tomorrow, I'm 78% oppressor. Oh no, oppressor. you're stuck. Yeah, then I'm stuck. I can't progress. That's called hopeless, okay? Mm -hmm. and, if I'm, and if I'm caught up in the dialogue, I may hate myself. I may hate 78% of myself because of it. And then with that, you'll take that hate and anger and you'll blame it on other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, so back to how we're going to fix this with the children. We've got to teach them to love other people. That's important. 
Okay. And we've got to teach them to recognize the truth. I think we hit on that when we discussed discernment, that's important. Um, but another thing that we have to do is we, we have to really focus on the family because the family is the place where we can teach them self-government. The family relationships are the place where we can teach bonding and forgiveness and stuff. This prepares them to bond outside the home. If they are bonded close within the family, if they know who they are within that family group, then they are they know their roles outside of the home. Mm-hmm. I was just having a conversation the other day with somebody and he was telling me, he's like, you know, I started looking for myself outside of my family, but I realized that that bond with the family helps me be better for everybody who is outside of myself. And I was like, that's exactly right. And he's like, I have to keep my top priority on the bond with the family. Otherwise I think for me, it throws everything off. And I said, not just for you. For everybody, throws everything <laughs> off. That is what happens. So that's why our we have to have family as top priority. To me, my two focuses are alignment with God, alignment with family um, values, and with family identity and roles and stuff like that within the family. And if you know your roles within the family and you live them, that gives you the confidence and security to go out in the world. And, and we've got to teach our children how to disagree appropriately. If people start saying to them, you're an oppressor, you know, we've got to also teach them to sometimes if they can't fix how other people think to just drop the subject in their head and decide not to care, we have to teach them that skill where they just, it's, it's like accepting a no answer. If you disagree appropriately and the people are like, no, you're still an oppressor. You're, you're, you know, taking advantage of other people because you have money or whatever it is, then you have to teach your children to just go, okay, well, that's what they think. And then just drop the subject and move on. Keep a calm face, voice and body. They've got to know these skills. Not to emotionally connect to other people's opinions. Yeah. And we have to set the example. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that we've been hitting on this whole time is that it really is up to us to do the teaching and to set the example. And if people start saying certain things, instead of getting angry, instead of yelling back and and getting that kind of thing that we say, I'm sorry, you're hurting. Um, But, you know, I really am. I really am fine with, with, with who I am you know, and, and that we show the children, we can love somebody, but still stand for truth. At the same time, we don't have to be aggressive. We can be kind. We can show them that. Um, this stuff that we're talking about putting people in boxes absolutely has the potential to change the world for the bad and it's happening, but thinking outside the box, allowing yourself to focus on principle instead of on what is becoming a social norm with this box thinking, Um, absolutely can set you free and your children free too, so that they can be leaders in the world, so that they can be happy in a world full of sorrow. Um, And that's what this whole podcast really is about. Thank you so much for joining us on the Teaching Self-Government Podcast. There is so much more for you on other podcasts that we've made. There's also books and resources, classes, courses, all kinds of things that you can find mm-hmm. on teachingselfgovernment.com. So we will see you there and we'll talk to you again next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us on the Teaching Self-Government Podcast. There is so much more for you on other podcasts that we've made. There's also books and resources, classes, courses, all kinds of things that you can find on teachingselfgovernment.com. So we will see you there and we'll talk to you again next time. Bye-bye. Bye.
You've been listening to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast. For more information and resources to help unite your family, visit teachingselfgovernment.com.